You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Simon Rich was the editor-in-chief of the Harvard Lampoon. Now he's a writer for Saturday Night Live. He's the author of Ant Farm, and his newest book is Free Range Chickens. Thank you for joining me, Simon. Thanks for having me. Simon, I, I'd like to go back a little bit, and let's find out how you got this great career in, in writing. W- when you were in grade school, were you the kind of kid who was writing up weird stories and telling your friends uh, outlandish tales? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> uh, to the dismay of, of all my classmates. Uh, <laughs> constantly uh, trying to get them to read uh, whatever jokes I had written. Um, uh, it, it, they mostly uh, did not want to read them, uh, but luckily uh, I persevered anyway and, and kept, uh, kept throwing stuff out there. Now, uh, as, a, as a grade school and high school kid, were you on the school paper or in part of those any like uh, regular literary endeavors? I was uh, briefly on the school paper. Uh, I, I didn't last. Uh, Why not? I, um, I uh, I was a really dishonest journalist. I made up everything constantly. Uh, I lied about uh, <laughs> quotes. Uh, I lied about stories. Um, I I was talked to repeatedly, uh, warned to stop lying. So so it wasn't there weren't the lies I was told were not believable ones. Uh, it, nobody was taking it as as true. And I wasn't fooling anybody, but I persisted in line in every single piece I wrote all through middle school. Uh, and uh, eventually I realized that I, 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 there was a thing called fiction, and I should probably just stick to that. <laughs> that's, that's outrageous. I, tell us, a, and I, give me an idea of some of the kind of things you did. Did you do this for fun or just because you just didn't feel like bothering to investigate? Or? I, there's a little of both. Uh, I remember I wrote one article for... Uh, uh, school paper that uh, implied that all of the uh, dead pets uh, had had somehow led to uh, why we were having tacos so much on Fridays. <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble for that. Um, neither neither thing was true. Dog food taco? <laughs> you mean those tacos? Those tacos weren't made from dogs? <laughs> well, uh, I, that's I, having eaten. Uh, high school cafeteria food, I can see how that might be a little bit believable. Oh, man. Yeah, this is back in middle school. By the time I got to high school, they wouldn't even let me on the paper, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here you are in high school. Uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, what kind of stuff did you read? Because those high school years can be really formative for yeah, know, yeah. what you read and like. And what did you read? In high school, um, I read a lot of I read a lot of short comedy pieces. Uh, you know, I read Mark Lehner, I read Woody Allen, and some you know early T.C. Boyle and Sedaris and The Onion, but but uh, my biggest influence was definitely uh, The Simpsons, um, Saturday Night Live, Kids in the Hall, and and those kinds of premise-driven comedy shows. And, mm-hmm. and so I, even though I ended up writing books, uh, most of my comedy influences were definitely TV. Well, I, I like this description that, that you have of uh, these, this kind of comedy is premise-driven. Did you think of it that way back then? Um, I knew that there was like a difference between uh, The Onion and the Kids in the Hall. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know if I, at the time I could really articulate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love them both, but um, just like I, I couldn't really stand writing a, you know, about facts 
for newspapers. <laughs> I also I also found that I didn't have really strong opinions on any uh, on any uh, anything that would warrant satire. So like, it's hard to write satire when you're like 16 and you don't care about anything. <laughs> and so, and so uh, it, it was easier to write jokes about you know squirrels and whatnot. Writing jokes about squirrels. Now you went to Harvard, which is a pretty big accomplishment. And tell us about getting into Harvard. Were you excited about it, or? Yeah, I was thrilled um, because I wanted to write for the Lampoon. Um, it was the whole reason I applied is I, was, I, I'd heard that all of my favorite writers for The Simpsons had uh, written for the Lampoon, and I, I was just desperate to get there. Now you you come from a, a family of writers. Your father's a, a famous writer for the New York Times. Your mother's a famous editor. Your big brother's a, a, a writer. Um, tell us about being in a family of writers. Do you guys like sit around and critique one another's stories? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but we've all kind of carved out different types of writing hmm. careers. Um, the big difference between me and my dad, of course, is that uh, everything he says is true and everything <laughs> I say is a lie. Uh, if either of us you know, published one sentence that the other person had wrote, written, we would both be fired. You know? uh, <laughs> But uh, it's it's been really, uh, um, even though we're, we're working in different genres, um, it's been really exciting to to and inspiring to to have a family like the one I have because, you know, it's it's rare to have a family that that doesn't call you crazy when you tell them at you know ten years old that you're going to be a writer. Wow. I feel like you know a lot of the writers I know um, are 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 laughed out of the living room when they when they make that that claim, but. My folks were always totally understanding and supportive, no matter what kind of writing it was I pursued. Boy, laughed out of the living room. What a great turn of phrase. Um, so here you are. You're in college at the Harvard Lampoon. Uh, you're, you're, but presumably you have to do something besides write for the Lampoon. Oh, tell you, us. Would, you would think that, right? <laughs> yeah. That's Especially at a place like Harvard, you would think they'd have some kind of academic requirements or something. <laughs> now, I, uh, I, I was non-honors English, which is... Uh, as cl- about as close to general studies as you can get at Harvard. I um I really spent all of my time at the Lampoon. Uh, how did you know your your classmates and and the people you know went to school with? I mean, Harvard is a pretty intense school, isn't it? I mean, you kind of, not to put too fine a point on it. You you don't seem like the driven Harvard type. Yeah, uh, it's it's inter- Harvard's an interesting place. Um, uh, they're d- they're definitely. Uh, a lot of people there doing noble things, doing good things, <laughs> while, while me and my, while me and my my friends uh, hung out in a in, in a basement and wrote jokes and watched uh, reality shows. But uh, the great thing about that place is that there's so many important things going on that uh, nobody really. If if you're somebody like me uh, who just likes to sit around with buddies making jokes, nobody uh, makes you feel bad about it because <laughs> nobody's watching you or <laughs> noticing anything you're doing. It's easy to fly under the radar when you're surrounded by, uh, by actual uh, typical Harvard men. <laughs> now, but speaking of typical Harvard men, I, Saturday Night Live has kind of used you guys as a, the Harvard Lampoon in particular. It's kind of it's their, their farm league, isn't it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's sort of an odd... Uh, an odd thing that happened, but uh, yeah, there are a ton of Lampoon writers who, who go on to write for SNL. Um, uh, I don't know why. I assume it's some kind of scam that someone started uh, <laughs> 30 years ago, and we're all just the beneficiaries of it. Uh, but um, 
all I know is that um, SNL, it, 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 people say that you know the, S, the SNL uh, is heavily influenced by the Lampoon, but um, for people like you know from my generation, it's almost the other way around because we grew up watching SNL, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's hard to imagine. Um, that we would that we would be writing the kinds of pieces we were writing if it weren't for SNL. So it's hard to say which came first at this point. Boy, well, that's really an interesting perspective. Now, um, when you're when you're there at at, at the the Lampoon writing, uh, you, I'm not. Did you think like, okay, I'm going to graduate from college and I'm going to? Did you plan on writing for Saturday Night Live, or did you think? Oh my God! I'm gonna graduate from college and I'll tell great jokes at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right? Yeah, I, uh, I, I had no idea I was gonna write for Saturday Night Live, and and um, my um, my goal was to write, uh, just to keep writing. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was the only. I, I was so terrible at everything else. Uh, I, I had no other marketable skills. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was uh, really the only thing I knew how to do was write these jokes, and uh, I just decided I would write for as many hours every day uh, until somehow I was able to make money doing it. Uh, and I didn't really know how that w- would be possible. And when I was like about 20 or 21, um, I, uh, I had this, this basically huge box of these short pieces I had written. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe there's a way that people will publish these as a book and then I won't have to apply for a finance job, <laughs> which I would not have gotten. You were the editor in chief uh, of the Harvard Lampoon. That's a, that's a really distinguished um, uh, position. Uh, tell me how that came about. There's a there's an election, and uh, it's it, you know it's it's hilarious because when you think of elections, you think of like especially like Harvard elections, you think of uh, strident, confident tall, good-looking politicians sort of mm-hmm. uh, duking it out. And the Lampoon elections are sort of like this ridiculous burlesque of that, where you have the most socially awkward comedy writers in a room having an election. <laughs> uh, and you just picture, like, a couple, like, really, like, like pasty, like, unwashed uh, guys uh, not wearing suits or wearing, like, the, the most ill-fitting suits you could imagine, like, uh, uh, arguing uh, sheepishly about jokes, so it's 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 it, it. On one level, it's like a fierce election, but on the other level, it's just it's just a, a just a comedy election. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> was it just guys in, in the Harvard Lampoon? Was it mostly guys? It was mostly guys, but uh, it's um, it's anonymous submissions, mm-hmm. so you never know who you're letting on until they get there. So um, I think at, at the beginning. Um, uh, like everything at Harvard at the beginning, I'm sure they didn't let in women. Uh, they probably also didn't let in Jews or blacks or God knows what, you know, it was 1870. But by the time I got there, it was actually a real meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And um, the applications were just submitted anonymously and voted on. And um, you never knew uh, if there was a guy or a girl until they showed up at the party. Well, give us an idea of what it's like to be working on the Harvard Lampoon. It's, it's, it sounds like a really interesting atmosphere. I mean, who are some of the people you work with that you remember? Do you remember any of these people that you? Used yeah, to hang out I'm with? still really close with them. Um, it's like a cross between a school newspaper and and an insane asylum. I mean, it's just 
a lot of uh, people who are nerds, even by the standards of Harvard, mm-hmm. which is full of nerds. And even I remember uh, I, I had a, one friend who was a, a computer science concentrator, a compu- like really into computers, and spent his time uh, in, in computer labs. And uh, he w- came over once, and he was like, man, you guys are nerds. It was a guy who like, <laughs> literally had, had like a Dungeons & Dragons move named after him. Um, really? Yeah. So it was That's a pretty big honor. Yeah. So uh, it was. Um, I think it was like a refuge for a lot of us. A, a lot of us, you know, had spent uh, our whole lives reading Mad Magazine in the corner and mm-hmm. memorizing Simpsons jokes, and, and to get to a place where we could actually just be ourselves, it was a. It was it functioned almost as a support group. It's funny <laughs> people talk about the Lampoon um, sometimes in the media, like it's this. Um, powerful uh mafia mm-hmm. this like uh, d- dominating media force that, that takes over shows and then runs hollywood and like but it's actually like uh if you ever went there you'd see uh it's like the the weakest group of, of people you'll ever find <laughs> in your life there's people who, who can barely barely you know barely have a conversation with a person let alone you know uh dominate them <laughs> but I, this always strikes me as hilarious when people say they're afraid of the lampoon really you know, it's like, <laughs> given, given that, that where the alumni end up we i can kind of understand why people would be afraid of it but it it, it sounds like pretty fun now did did like a bunch of you guys sit around a table like this, just talking, telling each other jokes and testing jokes? Yeah, it was. You know, it's it's um, it's a type of environment where uh, another good thing about the Lampoon is that is that nobody reads it. Oh, uh, it has no. like it has Except almost uh, not, all of Hollywood. <laughs> I guess certainly no one at Harvard read it. Uh, I, I wasn't even convinced that everybody in the Lampoon was reading it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but it. Uh, it's it's great in that way because you can take uh, wild risks. Uh, a show like SNL, um, if you write something that that gets on the air and, and isn't and isn't particularly funny, then uh, millions of people have seen it. Whereas uh, at the Lampoon, you could put out an entire horrible issue and you'll never even hear a word about it. It's <laughs> just something of a relief when you're 20 years old and still trying to figure out how writing works. Well, well tell us some of the wild risks you took. Um, one time, uh, it was announced that there was going to be uh, a new Harvard erotica magazine. I got a lot of national press, uh, and it was uh, going to be, um, it wasn't going to be pornography. It was going to be um, sophisticated, uh, erudite uh, erotica magazine with uh, literary fiction and, and, and poetry with an erotic bent. So we had a, a secret meeting. We decided uh, that the magazine hadn't come out yet. Uh, and it was it was going to be called H bomb, and um, there had been a lot of press on the subject, but the the first issue wasn't going to come out for a number of months. So we decided that uh, since nobody knew yet what this magazine looked like, we would print the first issue before they did. So we'd <laughs> do like a preemptive parody and parody their magazine before it was even out. And so we did um, an incredibly poor taste, uh, horribly written, uh, like eight page broadsheet. Uh, slapped their title on the cover and distributed it to thousands of students, <laughs> and uh, and everybody assumed it was the real magazine because they had no frame of reference. And uh, um, I think uh, I, 
think I don't remember how much trouble we got into it, but it was it wasn't. <laughs> you got. I, I take it that the editors of the real H bomb were not pleased with this. No, they were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this sounds like a lot of fun. Now, when you're doing this, uh, writing for the the Harvard Lampoon, were you kind of keeping these things all in a folder or in a notebook computer somewhere? You have a huge file of all your writings from college. Yeah, I, I, I started making a folder when I was like 19 or 20. Um, mm-hmm. Less of like a the folder is like a, um, makes it sound like I'm more responsible than I than I am. It was more like a gigantic box and I threw in all the pieces I thought were any good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had another box uh, with all the bad pieces, which turned into more of a, more of a crate uh, <laughs> by the time I graduated. But the, the, sm- the smaller, the much smaller box with the good pieces um, I, I held on to, um, and those are the pieces that turned into into Ant Farm, my mm-hmm. first book. Now, this is tell us a little bit about uh, writing Ant Farm and getting it published. I mean, how you're you've got a a, a, a handful of papers, yeah, uh, and you say publish me, right? <laughs> well, I was I was president of the Lampoon at the time, and um, I uh, took my the best of those pieces and I, I sent them off to literary agents mm-hmm. um, which uh, which I found by going to uh, the Harvard Barnes and Noble and going to the acknowledgement sections of my favorite humor books really because I realized mm-hmm. that uh, writers um, always thank their agents first because they, they got them the money <laughs> and, so, and so you know I'd whip open uh, me talk pretty one day or uh, our dumb century uh, or you know without feathers, whatever it was, uh, pure drivel and see what the first name in the acknowledgement section uh, was. And um, I sent it off to a lot of agents, some of which uh, were uh, uh, not fans of my writing. <laughs> but, uh, but eventually I found one um, who was willing to take a risk on these, th- th- this crazy format and these crazy jokes. Mm-hmm. And his name is uh, Daniel Greenberg. And uh, it's amazing. I've now known him for, I guess, Four years, mm-hmm. and uh, he really, uh, he really turned my life around. Well, you had a, a raw pile of papers that you handed to Daniel Greenberg. Was that what got published? Or talk about? Yeah. It? Oh, really? Um, I mean, that that ended up being the proposal, and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then once I got the the deal, I you know I wrote many many more pieces, but uh, most of those uh, made it into the first book. Made it in for the first book. Well, that's pretty. That's impressive. Now, uh, the, you write very short pieces, yeah, and they're they're very funny and pithy. Tell us a little bit about um, what your writing day looks like. You s- say you spend a lot of time writing. Uh, how, how does it work? Like this morning, this today is pretty typical. I, I woke up at uh, nine and I drank some coffee. I'm still drinking some, and uh, and just wrote until just now. Now I'm talking to you. <laughs> so that's so I put in four hours. I try to put in like at least four hours a day every day. Now, in four hours, how many pieces do you write? I mean, by words, you could probably write almost this entire book <laughs> in a sense in four hours, but it maybe maybe not doesn't it's, come that fast. It's eh? true, yeah. Um, late, well, lately I've been working on longer things. If mm-hmm. a, a novel coming out, and I'm trying to get started on, on the next one. But when I was writing uh, these books and these short pieces, uh, I would try to write uh, one a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, at the end of each year, I'd have, you know, if 
three or four hundred, mm-hmm. and uh, most of them were just uh, too horrible to even show anybody. Um, and and the few that that had anything to them, I would I would then revise, and then the best of those I'd show to my editor. And and uh, the, mm-hmm. even then, most of them were un, unusable. But uh, if you th- if you throw enough out there, you know the hope is that something will stick. I I uh, it's always easy easier for me to uh, write. Um, I'm, I'm more of a quantity than a quality type <laughs> of writer. <laughs> it's easier for me to cut stuff and slash stuff than than to you know sit there and, and fine tune it. Oh, that that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. especially when you're working in this short uh, this short form. Uh, let's have you read uh, one of these. Let's go with Deal with God. Oh, okay, cool. Um. All right, so this is a piece I wrote called um, uh, Deal with God. Uh, when I was nine years old, I made the following prayer to God. Dear Lord, if you save the sitcom Perfect Strangers from being canceled, I promise I'll start believing in you and going to synagogue every week. Three weeks later, ABC announced that they were picking up Perfect Strangers for another 13 episodes. And yet, despite this miracle, I continued to doubt God's existence. And so then it turns into a conversation uh, between God and an angel uh, present day. Uh, hey, God, quite a turnout in synagogue today. Look, the entire Rubenstein family showed up. Stop trying to distract me. Did Simon come or not? Well, the service just started. Maybe it'll come later. Do you know how many strings I had to pull to get perfect strangers back on the air? It was unbelievably difficult. I know, sir. I had to kill ABC's head of programming and replace him with somebody who liked the show. I remember. Do you know how many people prayed for me to cancel that show? Like 400 people. Well, maybe Simon could come to synagogue if you gave him another miracle. Like what? Well, uh, he just sent you this prayer. Then God takes it out. Dear God, please fix this damn wireless internet connection. Well, what do you think? Well, the only way I can think of to fix this wireless connection is to strike all the power lines with lightning, and that could result in countless deaths. I don't know if it's worth it, sir. Maybe we should just move on. Nah, this is too important. Now, this gives an example of your style, and one of the things I think I like about the way you write humor is you find the humor in humorlessness. Uh, The the people, the characters in your stories take things incredibly seriously. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that kind of approach. I like to write about characters who have a really small perspective and don't really, and don't know a lot about the larger situation they're in. I think that's why I write a lot about kids and why I write a lot about animals and people in the, in the, in the past. I'm, 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 always, I'm, always, I'm a writer who's always been more interested in the things that I, I know nothing about than the things that I feel like I know something about. Well, um, you mentioned animals, and the, the title of this collection is, is Free Range Chickens. Uh, why, and you have quite a delightful piece about free range chickens. It, was there any reason you you decided to pick on free range chickens? Um, I I actually I did briefly work at, at a free range chicken farm, uh, <laughs> really? which is true. Yeah, I actually did uh, for a few months, and I guess that's where I got the idea. But uh, I've always written about animals. Uh, I think that um, people are more like animals than than they you know they like to admit. <laughs> uh, I know I am certainly. Uh, it's always it always cracks me up when uh, I see an animal. Uh, because um, I know that, that, that they think they're as much uh, an expert on the world as, as the average human does. 
but of course they're not. <laughs> and in turn, the human is probably as much of an expert on the world as the yeah. animal. Now, let, let's hear. Let, let's have you read. Uh, maybe maybe Dalmatians. That's a oh, short one. Oh yeah, yeah. I love Dalmatians. It's right, this is a piece called uh, Dalmatians. It's a, a conversation between two Dalmatians. Hey, look, the truck's stopping. Did they take us to the park this time? No, it's a fire. Another horrible fire. What the hell is wrong with these people? That's the whole piece. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things you mine really well, I think, and you mentioned this at first, is, is perspective. Is you, you really use the perspective to, to, to eke out humor. And, and the way you do it is, is really interesting. Could you talk about uh, creating these perspectives? And, and as a writer, when you come up with this an idea from a perspective, going from the idea of I'll look at things from the point of view of a Dalmatian to the actual finished piece, right? Because that's a that's a highly honed finished piece. I mean, there's fewer words in there than I probably have <laughs> fingers on yeah. toes. Yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of it just has to come with coming up with a situation that I think is interesting, such as the the fact that a ten year old will actually pray to God to save sitcom for being canceled and expect that God is paying attention and, and listening and taking it seriously uh, or the fact that um, there are these dogs, Dalmatians who for some reason have been picked to, to go on these fire trucks uh, forever uh, and so a lot of it is just thinking about a situation like that and coming up with uh, coming up with the right way to talk about the situation where it's, it's a, either it's absurdity or it's humor comes out a lot of it is just like there's something funny about uh, how Dalmatians are the ones who have to go on those trucks. It's sort of gradually when you're just writing about that theme, uh, you, you start to think about maybe, you, in that case, I started to think about it from the perspective of the Dalmatians who have no idea why uh, they're on these trucks. They have no idea what the truck's purpose is. All they know is that their masters, for whatever reason, drive every single day to horrible fires <laughs> and I have to go along with them and they have no idea why they're not going to the park. One of the things you do too is to encapsulate one perspective in another. That And one of the ways you did this, uh, the one I really liked was your your mother's view of the police. Right, as yeah. your view as a kid of your mother's view of the police and you're writing this from adults so there's like a, a telescoping effect. I think this is like a really, one of the things that's interesting about this book is that each piece seems very simple. You can read it in a minute, maybe. Right. But the the perspectives and the construction and the layering, when you start thinking about it, is really quite complex. For me, it's it's always it's it's about trying to uh, write about a really really normal subject from a, a really abnormal perspective. That's really the the goal. I never want to write about uh, something that the reader doesn't understand already or has some kind of uh, connection with, uh, but at the same time, if you, if you want to make it interesting, um, you've got to sort of look at it from a, from a different angle. And, and these these pieces too seem very personal to you. I mean, a lot yeah. of this stuff is is in many ways about you. In fact, there's faux entries. I presume they're faux entries from your diary in here. Yeah. No. I uh, <laughs> were they real entries? Um. I, uh, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> no, they, I, that was, but they were definitely emotionally true. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's, there's a piece in Free Range Chickens where um, it's basically just a, a 
five consecutive diary entries, and each one is a really, really long warning about the curses that will befall anyone who reads the diary because it says secret and personal. But uh, it's pretty much just the warnings because my life is so boring and I have nothing to report to anybody <laughs> other than the <laughs> list of the sitcoms I watched on that day. Uh, <laughs> I would say if there's any like uh, emotion that that runs through uh, these first couple of books I wrote, it's 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 very obviously fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these book, a lot of these stories uh, are about fear and. Um, it's it's always easiest to write about when you're writing about fear. It's always easiest to write about the stuff you're actually afraid of. Well, and fear is also in many ways the the flip side of humor. So I always thought I always think so. I think a lot of my favorite comedy writers actually write horror and vice versa. You know, I I think Stephen King is really funny. Uh, Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe wrote a lot of comedy. Um, there are guys like T.C. Boyle who can do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with total ease, uh, it's the comedy is, is is usually about something horrible, uh, some kind of horrible thing being about to happen, <laughs> and uh, when it, when it happens, then it turns horror. But uh, until that, until the moment, until the gun is fired, it's mm-hmm. still it's still comedy. Well, I, I think too, comedy is about the horror of. I mean, horror fiction deals with you're you're dead and there's not much happens, but yeah. it's worse when you survive and you're in. Embarrassed. <laughs> Embarrassment is much more terrifying than death. I think. Yeah, no, <laughs> and funnier be. too. Death yeah. or somebody else. Yeah. And, and you like to mind, of course, uh, youth logic. Yeah. The, the the logic of youth, which is really a, a, a great thing. And and I love the the piece about uh, your experiments in getting the girls. Right. Yeah. Uh, I did a. That's a piece um, where I use the scientific method. Uh, problem, hypothesis, uh, materials, et cetera, to try to woo uh, girls, uh, and it does, uh, it does not work. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't? It, it does not work. Boy. Um, boy, it backfires. <laughs> but but um, it's a lot of fun to write about the way my brain worked when I was a little kid, because um, at the time, I, I, I thought I understood everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a, a funny reminder. Uh, you know, now now I'm I'm 24, and uh, still occasionally I'll think I have some kind of thing figured out, and uh, uh, obviously I, I don't. Uh, and it's 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 fun to look back uh, at being you know 12, because it reminds it reminds me that um, well if I didn't know things then I I, I probably don't th- I probably don't know things now either. <laughs> it also struck me too. One of the things I like about this book is it seems like there are. Uh, I was thinking of it at first in terms of it almost being science fiction mm-hmm. because it, these are all like little thought experiments mm-hmm. uh, it, and it really takes the science fictional form of a what if. Yeah, yeah. And, and so talk about it. I mean, because it seems that the real important, the key, you can unlock almost everything in this book with the phrase what if. It's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely like a real speculative you know, element to it. Uh, I know a lot of my favorite science fiction writers are premise guys, guys obviously like Bradbury, you know, Philip Dick are extremely premise driven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Twilight Zone, mm. uh, I think those are all, th- those those 21 minute episodes could be condensed into into pretty funny <laughs> one and a half page scenes. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I think that's, that's definitely a, a huge influence. 
Well, now you've mentioned this term a couple times, and this is obviously a professional term for the humor writer, so let's dig into the word premise-driven. Explain what that means specifically to you as a comedy writer, and we'll take it up to the, your day job uh, writing for SNL. It's pretty much a, uh, a situation where something horrible is bound to happen. <laughs> it's okay. sort of, all it is is just sort of like a, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's, uh, a, it's a horrible situation. The original title for uh, my, my first book uh, mm-hmm. was uh, Horrible Situations, <laughs> and uh, my editor uh, at the time said that it was too uh, blunt, uh, and uh, he's probably right, so I changed it. But um, these, first two bu- these first two books can really much just be, in my head, they're still pretty much horrible situations. And speaking of horrible situations, you do speak quite a bit. I mean, you have a whole section here on God and religion and quite a few of pieces outside. Um, God and religion are not necessarily you're, uh, normally a source for humor. For whatever reason, I've written a lot of pieces uh, about God. Um, I don't see them as... Uh, some people tell me that they're uh, satirical or, you know... Blasphemous, or there is no like political intent with them. Um, I don't see them as being about religion, or about you know Christianity or Judaism or anything. Uh, But I I do think it's hilarious. Uh, I do think the notion of a uh, confused God or a error-prone God uh, is just really funny. I like I like writing about that that character. It's a lot of fun, and it's also too you you tweak with the notion of. uh, you know, uh, the problems with an omniscient and omnipotent being. I mean, oops, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. there goes Sodom and Gomorrah. That was kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, I, yeah, the, I mean, the Old, the old Testament God is obviously more... Uh, I, I am Jewish. I did go to, I did go to Hebrew school. Uh, and I think uh, the, the God in these, in these couple of books are definitely more, more old school, <laughs> Old Testament. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of lightning, a lot of fire and brimstone in these in these couple of books you write this you're writing this and you're presumably your novel which i want to get to in a little while um at night and you work at snl during the day at snl you never you have no time to do anything but snl it's mm-hmm. really it's it's grueling it's like you know 90 hour weeks it's insane <laughs> but um every time there's a rerun mm-hmm. you have the week off oh okay so uh because everything is done you know live uh over the course of the week, so um, during your off weeks and during the summer, you can you can you can do other projects. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of the writers um, do stand up comedy or or write movies. Um, I feel I mean lucky for a million reasons to write for that show. But one of the the greatest things about it is that uh, the schedule sort of allows you to to work on other stuff too. So you don't feel like you have to give some other part of your your career up. Tell us about getting the gig. How did how did that happen? How did you do that? Did you just send in a fill out, go into NBC and fill out a little application. <laughs> in <the lobby>? Well, <laughs> uh, my first book had come out, and um, they had read um, they had read it in some of my pieces for the New Yorker, and it's just uh, they wanted to give me a shot, and it's amazing because I uh, I really had no um, I'd always you know in an abstract way always wanted to, to write for SNL, but I never thought it would be a possibility. I was really just sitting in my room writing my second book and I when I got this uh, call that um, they wanted to talk to me. I don't think I ever would have sought them out on my own 
even though it was this dream job, I, it seems I got sort of out of my radar screen. I, I just feel super lucky that uh, they took a shot at at a at me after reading these these weird, crazy pieces. <laughs> well, well, now um, these are are very good and they're great. They're, they're wonderful prose stuff, but I got to guess that uh, writing for SNL is a very different experience, and it has a different kind of output. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, here you are, you've got two two books pretty much under your belt. You're well, well-received, well-reviewed. Uh, you walk into something completely different. It's it's very different. Um, the, the great thing about it is that um, it gives you just more weapons that you can use <laughs> to make jokes. You have... Uh, you have these amazing actors. The cast is fantastic. They're uh, incredibly gifted, um, and so you have each of them uh, serves as a kind of weapon. I mean, you know, I have a few pieces about Dracula in this book, um, mm. and that's and and I'm happy with how they turned out. But uh, sometimes I feel like if I just saved them for the show and had Bill Hader play Dracula, mm-hmm. maybe they would have gone even. <laughs> you know, maybe they, maybe I would have gotten more laughs out of it. Um, so that's a really amazing thing, and the and the, the other great thing about writing for the show is that I get to write with other writers. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the Lampoon, we did a lot of, I wrote a lot on my own, but I also wrote a lot with my friends. And uh, after graduating college, I I was pretty much just writing alone in my room all day, and I really did miss uh, sometimes working with other people because mm-hmm. you you learn a lot that way, and you get better. And um, the the best part of the show for me is that I get to write with other people. Well, tell us a little bit about writing with other people because that seems for comedy kind of difficult. Or, or I mean, do you do you come up with a tweeze one another's ideas or go back and forth? Tell us, how does that work? I mean, you sit in a room like this. How many people are sitting in a room? At the show, usually, like uh, you work in groups of two or three mm-hmm. on on scenes, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, we write about uh, forty five a week, and. Uh, 45 pieces a week yeah a week a week yeah and jeez then, that's a lot it's a ton and then they uh they they read them all out loud on wednesday the cast reads them all out loud mm-hmm. um it takes about four or five hours mm-hmm. uh and then they pick about a dozen mm-hmm. and and those get produced and and they're in uh a dress rehearsal that goes on on saturday nights at 8 p.m mm-hmm. it's about two hours mm-hmm. and then at 10 p.m they cut three or four more sketches mm-hmm. and you're left with about nine mm-hmm. that that make it onto the show and usually during the show itself one or two more sketches will be cut because uh things went long or justin timberlake showed up and got two minutes of applause or <laughs> you know or kanye west decided to freestyle rap at the end of his performance and and uh, you'll be left with just seven or eight sketches that actually go onto tv this must be kind of nerve-wracking for you as a writer. I mean, because you've got first, you've got the thing gets cut by three out of four drop off just to begin with. Right. To, yeah. To yeah. Talk about that as a. I mean, do you like go? Oh well, no, wait, please, please give this one another chance. Or, <laughs> or... Um, yeah, you can't really. I mean, it's it's a real uh, it's a real meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always really pretty clear which uh, which pieces. I don't know, maybe some people disagree with me about this, but I always feel like the best pieces make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when my stuff gets cut, um, I almost always agree that it should have been cut because it wasn't as good as the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's, I feel like uh, the people running the show, they really understand the show better than 
any of us writers, <laughs> and I, I, I really, I do, I always respect their, uh, their judgment. Do you work with the same group of two or three all the time, or do you rotate? Or I, ro- I rotate. I, I uh, this year I've, I worked a lot with uh, two writers, uh, America Sawyer and, and John Mulaney, and we wrote we wrote a bunch of sketches together. But um, but I write with a bunch of people. This is a piece called Intelligent Design. It's a a conversation between God and uh, his angel. Check out this human I designed. Wow, God, that looks incredible. How does it work? It's pretty complicated. Point to something and I'll tell you what it does. Okay, what are these? Teeth. They're for chewing up food. How come there's so many of them? I threw in like three or four extra. If they don't like them, they can pull them out somehow, I guess. Ah, what about this weird bag thing? That's the appendix. What does that do? It explodes. Really? That's all? Pretty much. What causes that to happen? It just happens randomly. Like you'll just be walking down the street or driving a car and boom. Geez, that's terrifying. Does it kill the person? Sometimes. Uh, one of the things I like about your work is the way you uh, turn upside down our, our perceptions of characters like God, you know, <clears throat> from being omnipotent and omnicompetent to being somewhat dangerous. Um, and you mentioned your Dracula piece. Well, Dracula has is, is, uh, always been a character who... who who I've been obsessed with uh, ever since reading EC Comics when I was a little kid, and uh, I, I I love reading about vampires. Um, I find them really scary, uh, and I wanted to write about Dracula because I was interested in him. And uh, in order to try to make it funny, I I finally ended up thinking about what it's like for Dracula present day because I remembered he he's he's immortal, and so presumably he's still out there. Uh, in Transylvania, in his in his castle, but but now everybody sort of knows about Dracula, and and uh, he's pretty famous and pretty conspicuous looking, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and I just got to thinking how difficult it is for Dracula to get the blood he needs in two thousand and nine, uh, and I thought maybe he uh, he tries certain scams uh, over the internet to get people to 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 come to his castle, uh, but. Uh, but that those scams would not work, and uh, he'd ultimately get pretty defeatist about the whole thing. So it, they're just pieces about uh, they're 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 pieces that I hope make Dracula sort of a sympathetic character, mm-hmm. uh, because he, in them he's trying his best to get uh, the blood he needs and to, to kill the people he needs, um, but it's just not working out for him. Let's talk a little bit about your novel. This is a different approach. It's a long. One long piece about yeah. presumably a, a set group of characters. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about what it's about and what made you decide to write a novel? It's it's called Elliot Allagash. It comes out next year. Uh, it's also uh, it's Random House. I don't I don't know how. Don't say that title again. <laughs> uh, it's called Elliot Allagash. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I say it like it's a normal like it's a normal title. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it was it was incredibly fun to write. It's pretty episodic, you know. It's a it is a comic novel, so mm-hmm. it's it's closer to these first two books than mm-hmm. a normal novel would uh-huh. be. But uh, it's still, you know, still very much a novel with a beginning, middle, and end, and a story and a plot. So uh, it, it was a different type of writing. How did you approach that as opposed to this? Did you were you writing these kind of pieces and the novel at the same time? No, it was it was basically I'd started writing for SNL and mm-hmm. uh, I started giving all of my premises to that show. 
Uh-oh. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I couldn't really write these books anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's probably as, as much a reason as any is why I wrote it, because uh, I still I still enjoyed writing on my own and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and writing prose. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, every time I thought of a premise, I, my, my head sort of automatically tried to turn it into a piece of live theater as opposed to, you know, something that would, that would, that would work as like a shouts and murmurs. So then I uh, sort of, I don't know, I started writing a longer and longer piece mm -hmm. that turned into more of a story and then it turned into more of a novella. And the next thing I knew it was uh, hundreds of pages and I, I decided to, to, to throw it in there. Well, this is, uh, you know, this brings up an interesting problem for you. I mean, uh, I guess as you walk around every day, everything that happens to you uh, is a, a fodder for Saturday Night Live. Only when I'm really panicking. <laughs> Only when I'm really frightened that I have no material. <laughs> uh, could you talk about, is there a lot of pressure on the show to keep the quality up? I mean, do you feel like they're like, you know, a cheese grater under, hovering under you, wait, wait, waiting to grate you away? Um, yeah, it's, show? you know, it's, it's, it's stressful, but it's also really exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's live TV, which is this old school primitive thing that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, you really feel like you're, you know, you could be working for like the Jack Benny show or the Honeymooners. You know, you feel like you're, you're doing your show of shows in the 21st century. So it's like this pretty amazing thing that, uh, that that we get to do it at all um and uh you know you're changing cue cards at the last minute by hand really yeah it's, so you're it's, standing on the set re rewriting your jokes as, as yeah, the show goes yeah the, the show is cutting something down for time at the last minute the, the show is really um wow that's amazing <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah it's 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 a kind of excitement that uh almost doesn't exist in the world anymore mm -hmm. this this world of live tv live variety tv it's mm -hmm. It's an amazingly thrilling thing. I think uh, it's it's crazy and awesome that it's still around. And uh, so even though you're stressed out, you're also you know really excited to be there and 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 get a taste of this thing that that is all, is pretty much dead everywhere else. Now you're kind of young, but I mean you're working with a lot of people who've been in the business for a million years. And and do you? feel like a kind of equal to them or how do, how does that work when, you're, when uh, you're on the set with all these people no i never feel like an equal to, to <laughs> i don't feel like an equal to, to most to most normal people regardless of whether they're comedy <laughs> writers or, or anything um but uh people have been really nice to me uh like i said i you know uh you hear rumors about snl being the shark pit and everybody being really hostile and, mm -hmm. and mean but uh, from from day one, everyone has been really uh, supportive of me, and they've helped me. Uh, they've taught me a ton about writing for television, which is a thing I knew nothing about, and still know almost nothing about. And uh, I'm just really thankful that they've uh, that they took a shot, that they took a chance on me, but also that they've been so uh, nice throughout the process, and and uh, been so so much fun to work with. Well, talk a little bit about some of the differences between the SNL writing and this in your novel. I mean, the great thing about writing a novel for me is that uh, you can have fewer jokes <laughs> per page, <laughs> uh -huh. and so uh, uh, or per minute, depending on what. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, it's still very much about for me about like coming up with interesting situations and putting characters in weird places and mm -hmm. uh, 
creating moments where something horrible is bound to happen. So it's still very much the same kind of humor, the only kind of humor I know how to do. But uh, it's it, it's liberating to uh, come up with situations that take longer than a sentence uh, mm. or a 10-second line to set up. Uh, and it's it's fun to write about basically more complex experiences mm-hmm. than, say, you know, two frogs discussing a frog dissection report (laughs) which is which is a a piece piece. which is a piece in this one yeah yeah now when you're writing for saturday night live do you write dialogue or do you sketch out characters or how how does that work uh you write a script you write Mm -hmm. you write dialogue you write stage directions Mm -hmm. um ultimately though there's so many variables uh that like contribute to the sketch that that have nothing to do with writing mm-hmm. uh so much uh of a sketch's success is about uh the costumes for instance these guys uh tom and eric run the, the costume department and and i feel like a lot of the what what's perceived as the funniest sketches uh mm-hmm. work mainly because of their success and their skill oh wow and, uh, interesting props are obviously hugely important mm-hmm. and and uh and the camera work is really important. I mean, just getting the shots right. So uh, as a writer, uh, you have a lot less agency over the sketch, mm-hmm. which um, for some people I, I think can be uh, frustrating mm-hmm. uh, because it, it, it's, it's so, much, uh, so much less in your, in your hands than a piece of prose. But it's also exciting because um, all of a sudden your sketch will get huge laughs uh, mm-hmm. that you had nothing to do with um, because there's so many talented people uh, working uh, to help out and make it better. Mm-hmm. I've been speaking with Simon Rich. His new book is Free Range Chickens. Thank you for joining me, Simon. Oh, sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.